listening to The Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm your host, Dan West, and for this episode, John Hansen from The Montana Mint is joining me again to go over the 2018 U.S. House race. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, The Montana Mint supports this podcast because they recognize our effort to make politics more accessible to all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out The Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com or follow them on Facebook. You can also subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics and check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. Here's the DC update. So since our last episode, the federal government shut down and then it reopened again. Why did the government shut down? It's because Congress did not pass a spending bill. Let me briefly explain how we got here. It helps to know the federal budget process a little bit. So the government fiscal year starts on October 1st. That means that the 2018 fiscal budget for the federal government started on October 1, 2017. This is how it works every year. By September 30th, Congress has to pass a budget for the next fiscal year. This is what makes Congress so powerful, because it controls the purse strings of our federal government. The president can propose or request a certain budget from Congress with funding increases in certain areas to support their policy priorities, and they usually send that request to Congress in February. But Congress then spends the spring and summer debating what parts of the president's budget they will choose to enact that year, or not. That's up to Congress. Now, when we talk about the budget, in this case, we are talking about what's called federal non-defense discretionary spending, which is set through appropriations bills passed through the House and Senate. So this spending doesn't affect entitlement programs like Social Security or defense spending, but discretionary spending is still a significant amount. It's like $600 billion a year, and it funds all the agencies from the National Park Service to the State Department. And during a government shutdown, when Congress can't pass a spending bill, those agencies close or go to minimal activity. How the government pays for that spending, how it gets its revenue, comes from tax legislation, which doesn't have to be passed every year. So that goes through a different process that only requires a simple majority of 51 in the Senate to pass. And we saw that happen last month when Congress passed a comprehensive tax bill for the first time in 30 years on a party-line vote. And Republicans were just barely able to do that because they have 51 members in the Senate. A spending bill, however, requires 60 Senate votes to pass. So the Republicans, the 51 of them in the Senate, need at least nine Democratic senators to vote for a spending bill with them. This situation gives Democrats some leverage, and they used that leverage last week to demand the spending bill also resolve this issue that could lead to the deportation of hundreds of thousands of young immigrants by March if Congress doesn't act. Now, remember, Congress is supposed to pass a new funding bill by September 30 each year. They didn't do that in 2017, and the government has been operating off a few patch bills called continuing resolutions which just fund the government at last year's levels. The deadline for the last patch was January 20th. So there's the background. Here's how Montana's senators were talking about it on the Senate floor as the deadline came nearer. Here's Senator Tester. In any other business in this country, if managers acted like the leadership of this body, they'd lose their jobs. It's almost as if the majority had planned this all along to get us this point for political purposes. 
Well, guess what? We should not be here for political purposes. We should be here as Americans, doing our best to give people the certainty that they need, rather than playing with a hot potato saying, you know what, we'll do it next month. We were sent here to govern. We ought to govern. Put politics in the closet. We got nine hours to do a job. We need to do it. If the majority leadership in the White House are going to continue to sit back and twiddle their thumbs, let's bypass them. Let's get a deal. There's good people in this body. We need to sit down and get a deal that works for this year, for the rest of this year. That's to the end of September, not to the 19th of February. That strengthens our border, that reauthorizes CHIP, that funds our community health center, that supports rural hospitals, that fixes DACA. Now, I know that there are scores and scores of folks on the other side of the aisle that want to do this. Nobody should leave our desks in this body until this job is done. We are nearly four months into this fiscal year. At some point in time, the Appropriations Committee should be starting to work on the 19th fiscal year budget. But we're not because we can't even get through 18. We need to stop governing from crisis to crisis. Nobody wants a shutdown. And that's why we need to stay here and do our jobs. Mr. President, I yield the floor. Here's Senator Daines. I'm here to make one point uh, crystal clear for those Montanans who are wondering what is going on with their government. There have been a lot of speeches given today and last night, a lot of interviews going on. Let me try to sum it up as succinctly as possible. The reason that the government has shut down is because of a controversial illegal immigration policy that was not included in a bill that funds the government. If you don't know that, you're missing the facts. We should not hold the country hostage for a controversial immigration policy that impacts 0.00007% of Montanans. But a minority of U.S. senators want to shut the government down. And now their leader is filibustering the United States Senate. This is a huge mistake. We need to get the government back up and running so the least amount of pain is felt by Montanans and the American people. The Senate couldn't pass anything by their deadline on midnight on January 20th, last Friday, which shut down the government. But then they reached an agreement on Monday, the 22nd, to pass another continuing resolution that lasts until February 8th, with the pledge to resolve the immigration issue in the meantime. If they can't reach an immigration deal by February 8th, then the government might shut down again, so stay tuned, folks. This is pretty high political drama. On the same day the Senate voted to reopen the government, Montana Governor Steve Bullock made a surprise announcement that defied a recent action taken by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, to repeal net neutrality. Governor Bullock signed an executive order requiring that all of Montana's internet providers for the state government adhere to the principles of net neutrality. This made Montana the first state in the nation to take action since the FCC repealed net neutrality rules last month. 
And that's the DC update for this episode, folks. Now here's my conversation with Montana Mint political contributor John Hansen about the 2018 U.S. House race. And we're recording. Okay, so this is episode six of the Montana Middle. Uh, This is going to be an overview of the 2018 U.S. House race in Montana. And I'm joined today by our Montana Mint political contributor, John Hansen. John, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me back, Dan. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, new subscribers on the 2018 Senate race, so I'm excited for you to be back talking about the House race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So last week, let's see, maybe it was a week and a half ago, you came out with another Montana Mint newsletter and... It was about the house race. Um, it had a pretty funny theme, kind of, you know, n- nodding to the fact that that the incumbent, Congressman Greg Gianforte, is is probably best known for his uh, pre-election night incident where he body slammed a reporter. Um, so on that theme, you have this this kind of wrestling theme for the house race. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, and you can expect us to keep going back to that. Uh, keep going back to that well because <laughs> the the wrestling themes are fun. Um, yeah, so um, yep, uh, Montana Mint dot com, and you can sign up for our political newsletter hashtag MT Poll there. Also check out AR Sports Podcast there. Another great thing that is you know exclusively done there. You're not going to find that kind of coverage on Montana college or high school sports anywhere else. Um, so those are cool things to check out there. Absolutely. And we'll have more fun Photoshop in the future for sure. <laughs> those were great. Yeah. You're getting really good at that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's become a, it's become a real hobby. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's concerning. That's my, my, I'm going into graphic design, I think in my future. Definitely. You definitely have a career in graphic design. Out for you. So uh, you I mean you're also a political expert. So not just this house race, you know what's going on all the time in Montana politics. So give us a little bit of background on on just Montana's house seat in general. What's the history there? Absolutely. So Montana has had a, a one house seat at large district. If you're a congressional nerd like me, you'll know it is the second largest district in America. Of course, Alaska's first district and only district is the largest in America. Um, it largest by area, but it's also mm-hmm. a big population. It's about, you know, a million people, uh, average house district, about 750,000. So Montana as a house seat is, it's a large constituency besides being a large piece of land. Um, it heavily, you know, since the nineties, since we had two house seats, probably people, the younger listeners might not know, but older listeners would definitely have voted for in that. Uh, we had a Western district and an Eastern district from, 1913 to 1993. Uh, but since 93, um, we've had one district and Pat Williams was the first guy to hold this Montana's sole district. And he was a Democrat. Uh, he was an incumbent from, uh, when we had two districts, but since 1997, um, you know, we've really, uh, seen that district go red. And most of the time we've seen it go dark red. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've seen, People like Denny Reberg or Rick Hill in the 90s really run up the score on people, Um, you know. So um, I guess that's, you know, when we talk about Gianforte and whoever ends up facing him, 
he does have a natural advantage. However, you know, there's some bright spots uh, for Democrats, some things that Democrats can um, look at with uh, some optimism. Sure. Yeah. And he definitely has some vulnerabilities. Absolutely. And, you know, one of those even, you know, obviously everyone knows the pre-election body slam thing. But, you know, a lot of people had already voted when that happened. Right. True. And maybe not everyone that went and voted read the paper that morning and things like that. So that was a big stink on him, really. But Chris Quist got within 5.5 points of Gianforte in the special election, which is really close. Only person I'd seen since you know, in recent history, since the late nineties come that close, Denny, Nancy Keenan, who obviously had a, a great cool career outside of Montana. And, um, after came within five of Denny in the year 2000. Um, but a lot of these, like, like I was saying, were 20, 25 point blowouts. So Quist being that close to Gianforte, I think shows, um, you know, in a, in a state where Trump won by 20 points. Yeah. Um, I think that really shows that um, Gianforte has some just kind of incumbent weaknesses, you know, some things that Montanans don't like about him. You and I were talking before the podcast. He is the richest member of Congress. Yeah. Um, and not it's not close. <laughs> no, it's not even close. And Montanans don't like that. You know, they don't right. like I money mean, in we, politics. We've, we've, we've been there, you know. Copper kings. And, um, you know, we've seen how uh, we've seen how, you know, how that can really have a negative effect on your politics or on your on your body politic, rather, that, you know, um, Senator Walsh from Montana was really the focal point of the Teapot Dome scandal back, which was a huge, um, you know, political upheaval that, you know, almost ended with the impeachment of a president and things like that. So, you know, this mm-hmm. is going back to the to, to the Robert, to the to the copper days. But. Um, but that tradition sticks, you know, that's, that's why Butte and Silver Bow County is so, you know, so dark blue or so deep blue still. Mm-hmm. And Montanans overwhelmingly don't support Citizens United. Um, so that, you know, I think that's part of the reason they, you know, they see Gianforte as someone with lots of money and influence, and, you know, not necessarily one of us. He's been here since the nineties, but you know, he's not from here. originally. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so that's a little background on Gianforte, and again, we'll you know we'll follow him, and and he's got some time still to prove himself as as a a good legislator for Montana. So we'll see, you know, how many votes he can he can cast that that show right. You know where where he and stands, honestly, but also any pieces I, of legislation that he can introduce to get passed. Right, and I I think he uh, what what I think is his biggest accomplishment so far politically is staying out of some of the quagmires that I've seen other people get caught up in, uh, like endorsing Roy Moore, for instance, like Steve Daines did. <laughs> um, he's, he's gotten, you know, to his credit, you know, people asked him about that. He had nothing to say. Um, he's avoided controversy well and, you know, and distancing himself or, you know, um, being calculated about um, how, what what comments what the i'm sorry being calculated about what he says about the president because obviously the president says stupid things he gets in trouble yeah um and you don't want to be uh involving yourself that in that day in and day out that's it's fair a real risk. yeah that's 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 fair because you know from gianforte's 
shoes, it, it's a tough spot to be in as well, trying to manage yeah, it's, the ebb and flow and, of and, this party. And, and, and frankly, that's going to be a challenge for, you know, they have this sort of Damocles kind of hanging over their head, all Republicans, you know, in every state that are running. Mm-hmm. They have this campaign cycle that will want to get them to comment on the president's controversies. And that'll be a real challenge to have the discipline to focus on Montana, Montana issues and your voting record. And if the president accomplishes something, you know, like tax reform, um, whether you agree with it or not, that's a legislative accomplishment. Go ahead and attach yourself to that. But as far as being involved in day in, day out controversy, it could really drag somebody down. Mm -hmm. So that sets up an interesting stage, or I guess we should say ring for this event to happen um yep. you know the the uh the headline for your article was the challenger stepping into greg gianforte's ring and it's certainly his ring but let's yeah let's switch over now and start talking about some of the people who are lining up to compete in the democratic primary to challenge gianforte in the general yeah um so i think probably the first person we'd want to mention and he seems to be establishing himself as a front air front runner is John Heenan. Mm-hmm. Um, he has the most money on hand and he seen, you know, he has a campaign schedule that looks like a fully formed campaign mm-hmm. already. Um, it doesn't mean other people can't catch up. It doesn't mean that he's going to win, but uh, he does seem to be um, using his money to canvas the state um, and, Get out there and, you know, get it, you know, get the shoe leather going, you know, um, shake the hands, meet everybody, uh, travel around the state. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's also I think he's taken the most aggressive tone with Gianforte. Um, he likes to challenge Gianforte on, you know, things like, you know, obviously Gianforte pleaded um, guilty to that misdemeanor assault. But Heenan, you know, even challenged him on uh, how he reported it to the police and if he was truthful and, you know, tried to inject or get Gianforte to react Mm -hmm. to that. He did the same thing with Roy Moore. He said, you know, this guy's terrible. I can't believe Republicans in Alabama are supporting him. Well, I guess not every Republican in Alabama did, obviously. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And he really tried to solicit Gianforte on that too so he's kind of you know he's always kind of knocking on his door and trying to get you know him to make an unforced air which is smart uh, yeah you know and he uh and Heenan's got some things going for him you know he's from Billings well he lives in Billings his family he's raised his family in Billings he went to UM law he's a, a consumer protection attorney so a trial lawyer yep. but on the side of yep. of you know the consumers and uh yep. I think what's interesting though is I don't know if you remember last spring when the Democrats were criticizing Greg Gianforte of not being from Montana. They called him New Jersey. They they said he's from New Jersey. Yes. And Gianforte yeah. was like, no, I was actually born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I just worked in New Jersey. <laughs> and I think Heenan is from Pennsylvania as well, originally. Oh, okay. And I didn't so actually know that. I... He came to Montana for law school, but... Sure kind of funny how we have two pennsylvania if if heenan gets the primary you'll have two pennsylvanians that's right running for montana's congressional seat (laughs) well and um 
Yeah, Heenan, let's see. Uh, yeah, oh, he also, he's a restaurateur in Billings. Yeah, right, um, right, small business and, owner. And, uh, yep, small business owner besides, like, you mentioned that. So that's just, you know, it's a bigger breadth of experience. It's, you know, he can relate to more Montanans that way. It's, a, it's another positive. Right. Um, and it, there's one concerning thing I heard in Billings Gazette. I was reading about one of his restaurants, and I in that article they said he's a pescatarian. I don't know if this is going to hurt him long term, but it's uh, you know that's a, a fish feeder essentially. He's a vegetarian that eats only fish. That's reported by the Billings Gazette. He's going to have to uh, he's going to have to report that to the people. That's that if I interview him, that's my first question. Yeah, he'll he'll probably have to answer to that too if he comes on this show <laughs> well maybe it's just trout maybe it's just trout yeah that's well there you go that that's that would be a double would turn be tie-in. Tie-in, yeah. <laughs> okay so heenan's the front runner who yeah. would you say is in second place right now uh grant keir um you know early early on and you know this is kind of a flawed system especially this early on um you know and Later on, we'll be getting more in depth. We'll get to know these people, and we'll be able to really inform you. Um, right now, fundraising is one of the, you know, unfortunately one of the top metrics we use to look at this. But uh, Grant Keir, um, he is a political novice. Uh, he's from Missoula. Mm-hmm. He's an engineer, and he uh, has a lot of experience in public lands and environmental policy. Um. He led the Five Valleys Land Trust, mm-hmm. um, which I'm somewhat familiar with um, when I went to school in Missoula. I, I, I remember that. Um, and he also was um, kind of a bitter rooter before that. He was um, in charge of the Valley County Farm and Ranch Board in Hamilton. Okay. Um, so these are, you know, politically adjacent positions. But like we'll see with the rest of our candidates, a lot of these people have experience in the legislature. Right. Um, and like we said, he has, uh, uh, Grant has raised a lot of money, doing really well there. Um, handsome guy. Uh, he um, raised his family in Missoula, but, you know, that's also a liability. You know, you get, he'll squeeze a lot of blue votes out of Missoula, but you're better positioned to be like John and John Heenan running out of Yellowstone County and seeing if you can, you know, like John Tester did in his last election, edge out Yellowstone County. And that gives Republicans very little room for air in the rest of the state. Um, So kind of a disadvantage running out of Missoula, I would say. Yeah, that's I think that's true with any statewide candidate. Yep, any statewide office, that's just sort of a natural um, sort of a natural disadvantage. And that's often where they come from um yeah <laughs> or they have many times in the past yeah well he uh, does have that Ravalli county experience too though yep yep so that helps balances it sure. out you know yeah, he has he has ties down there in hamilton and um and up and down the bitter route which is uh a, a, a pink area i would say mm-hmm. it's just slightly red mm-hmm. um but but can be obtained by by democrats and i actually look in in the trump election the in the 2016 election, Missoula hmm. was not the bluest county, hmm. and I was surprised by that. It was actually Glacier County. So Blackfeet Nation coming wow. in with 60 percent of the comes in with maybe. I mean, obviously there's other parts of Glacier County, but that's um you know, um, 
that's a big part of it. Yeah. Coming in was 60% for Hillary Clinton. And then Missoula, I think, was just down there in the, in the mid-50s. Oh, that's an interesting statistic. Hmm. <laughs> nice find, John. Nice find. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so that's Heenan, that's Kier. Who do you think's in third place as of right I, now? I think we could go... As of right now, I think we can go with Kathleen Williams. Um, the rest of the candidates we're going to talk about have not reported fundraising activity with the FEC. That doesn't mean Good they point. don't have money. It just means we don't have money that they know of. Mm-hmm. Um, these filings are intermittent. They don't happen all the time, and they don't get updated all the time. So it's hard to know exactly what everyone has in pocket. But um, And, you know, as things go, that'll matter a little less in the way that um, – once there's a robust campaign infrastructure, you know, if someone, if, you know, a set of candidates have a, a campaign going, it won't matter if one's 50,000 ahead or, you know, we don't have to watch it as if it's, you know, the determining factor. Yeah. Um, but Kathleen Williams um, seems to have a nice online presence. She has experience. Um, she is, um, again, a person who has a record of achievement on environmental and public land issues. Mm-hmm. Um, seems to kind of be positioning herself as, and, and Grant Keir was like this too when I've read his campaign literature. Um, they're not going with a hard left progressive tone. Um, you know, she's lamenting hyper partisanship in Washington, uh, telling people that she wants to go to Washington to. Um, to make, you know, I hate to say make deals. We don't want to, you know, don't want to get that stink on her, but <laughs> don't want to get the art of the deal stink on her. Um, but, but basically work across the aisle, right. And, mm-hmm. and come up with solutions that deliver for Montana. You know, that's the kind of tone she's, I've seen with her literature so far. Right. And she's a three, she's a retired three term state legislature, uh, besides being, the director of uh, the Western Landowners Alliance. Yeah. Um, so, out of the three candidates you've mentioned so far, she's the only one who's actually held elected office before. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, and you know, I think state legislator from and, and Gallatin County. Yeah, Bozeman uh, area. Right. Bozeman area. Another. Um, you know, you're best positioned as a Democrat in Yellowstone, but that Bozeman's also a good place to be. It's better than being in Missoula. Um, as far as what, you know, as far as, um, what political advantage that gives you. Yeah. Cause you, it's, you know, it's a huge County anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, not, it's not just Bozeman. There's a lot of people and a lot of voters, you know, between here and Elgrade and Manhattan and, um, big sky. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also worth mentioning that Kathleen Williams is a woman. She's the only female candidate uh, in this in this field. Well, I guess well, that's not true either. Linda Moss. No, Linda no, Moss is also another one. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about yeah. her real quick, and then I'll make the point about about women. Yeah, absolutely, because I think it's that's a really important point. Yeah. Um, so uh, Linda uh, Bork Moss, or uh, Borke, probably Bork. Linda Bork Moss. Uh, she's a Billings native, mm-hmm. two terms in the state Senate, one where she was the majority whip in 2007. Um, so another, you know, both the women in this race have a political background. Um, you know, they've been elected, um, been in elected office and held that as Democrats. 
uh, in 2012, she ran for uh, the Montana Public Service Commissioner job. Okay. Uh, was edged out, edged out in the primaries there. Um, and, you know, she's Montanan and Democrat running out of Yellowstone County. Um, again, Linda, I haven't seen any fundraising activity from her. Um, so, you know, they're starting out maybe a little cold, but like I said, it's important not to think of that as, you know, as a factor that means people that they can't come back from, or it means that they don't have a campaign going because she certainly could, um, you know, she's, she certainly, um, has the political chops for this. Yeah. She was in the legislature for two terms. So, and yeah, served Um, in leadership in the, in the States. Yeah. And served in the leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so that's the point I wanted to make is that you have Linda Moss and Kathleen Williams, the only two women in this race and the Senate race, and yet they're the only two in this race that have actually held elected office before. So right. I'm yeah, hoping probably. I'm hoping they can get more traction because it's yeah, just the, not just the fact that they've they've served they, they know what they're doing as representatives, but also because of the fact that we just need more female representation, I think, in Montana politics. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and you know, we're seeing that not just in politics, but as a greater cultural trend. Um, right. And it's good. <laughs> and it's important. It's good. It's important. And, yeah. And, and yeah, and we hope to see that. The, um, I, what was I reading, looking over as this is more number stuff. Um, but I think, you know, when Juno ran against Zinke, she did so much better than Hillary Clinton. Um, it not, it, it wasn't good. So Hillary lost to Trump in Montana by 20 and a half. Yeah, it was bad. And, and Juno lost to Zinke by 15 and a half. So she did a wow. full five points better than Hillary Clinton in 2016. That's a good statistic so, too. Nice. I, I guess my, my point being is it, I think it was a Hillary Clinton problem. <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think montana you know we had the first obviously i think most people know the uh we had the first female member of congress um with jeanette rankin right and i you know we're obviously open to the idea yeah yeah well yeah i hope the best for them and so that's four candidates heenan Keir, williams and moss who else do we have left yes. uh jared uh Petinato. He is another guy running as a Democrat, Mm -hmm. kind of has an impressive education background, seems like a young guy. Um, He graduated from Stanford Law as in natural, and now he's a natural resources lawyer for the U.S. Department of Justice. Wow. He's a whitefish. Um, Yeah, he has an impressive resume. Just the thing about him, I think, is that he seems almost like kind of singularly focused on uh, policy issues like wind power, forestry natural resources so he doesn't seem to have you know a a broad message yet. um and and i don't know if he plans to or if he's you know just kind of trying to get out some messaging on those policy issues that he's really passionate about mm-hmm. um so that's kind of why i put him in here be, you know kind of below every uh, these other candidates because it seems like he hasn't really uh developed a full message yet he's kind of kind of a, a niche candidate working on, you know, these natural resources issues. And, you know, it's still early. He seems to have a, you know, uh, good online presence up that's looking professional and looking well run. 
Um, but he does, uh, you know, seem to focus on, you know, just kind of those energy and natural resources issues, yeah. wind power, full, things like that. Well, I mean, it sounds like he's an expert in those, but I, I also see what you mean yeah, about him absolutely. needing to craft yeah. maybe a more comprehensive campaign message. But absolutely. it sounds and like I, a pretty competitive field of candidates, you know, that's that's five solid candidates. Two are elected officials. The other three are are experts and leaders in their community in their own regards. Yep. So in, in the, uh, the article that you published, you also mentioned Tom Woods, who's yes. currently in the state legislature in, in leadership. Yeah. But he's dropped I'll, out. I'll and he's had it. We already lost one. Yeah. <laughs> <What's>... <laughs> I, think, I think he saw those charges on his credit card going up when he, uh, when he was campaigning and not working and, and realized that it, it's a really daunting fundraising task. And you're extremely likely to go into some sort of debt while you're running for office. I mean, uh, uh, you know, since the game has totally changed, you know, since uh, since Citizens United and it's a real industry and you have to raise lots of money. Yeah. Um, And I remember Tom Woods saying that like in his kind of farewell speech or whatever. Yeah. He and he he it was it was well written and well thought out. And Mm -hmm. I appreciated his contribution to this campaign it was i'll be at that brief uh but you know kind of just letting people know that um you know this is this is not a great way for a democracy to work um and he's right um you know he uh uh, also yeah like you said a state legislature legislator um gallatin county guy Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, he uh, hasn't really strongly positioned himself behind anyone yet. He, I don't remember his phrasing, but he sort of uh, gave a soft endorsement of Heenan, but, you know, basically said anyone from this Democratic field would be an improvement over Gene Forte, and I'm going to support, you know, I'm going to support them and yeah. uh, things like that. Whoever wins so, the primary. And, yeah. and Tom was positioning himself when he was running as the progressive candidate in this field. Okay. Um, Good point. He, he, his, his, um, campaign literature, the, the stuff that was out there, I was reading it is he was the Bernie Sanders candidate, right? I, <laughs> that's how I was reading it. Nice. He was talking about Medicare for all. And he was, you know, he was real out front on those issues and, um, you know, really wore his, his liberal on his sleeve. So, um, well, Heenan's done know, that maybe, too. Heenan's come out for Medicare for all pretty strongly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you, you know, former Senator Max Baucus has. We've, that's we've also true. Him. Blue Dog. I, I guess that's yeah, probably not as left of wing position as I feel like it is in my gut in a yeah. post Bernie Sanders. Right. Because obviously that was a hugely popular thing. I mean, he, you know, yeah. he almost was the president. <laughs> he was almost the, the party's nomination for president. So, yeah, and he's still um, the most we'll popular probably... politician in, in America. Yeah, I'm sure Crazy that's true. How much he's influenced yeah. the conversation around yeah, healthcare. Yeah, he's, he's really moved the needle and probably yeah. more on that issue than anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Tom Woods is a really nice guy. I, I've met him a few times in Helena, and he was always very kind to me. So I yeah. was sad to see him go. But um, I think it does, you know, his remarks when he was leaving the race about the fundraising and the amount of money that you need to raise, is it's, it's compounded by the fact that, that – these candidates are running against the richest member of Congress. 
by far. Right. I was gonna say that's that's probably something we didn't spend that much time or I didn't articulate as well as I should have. You know, the thing with Gianforte having three hundred million dollars, not that he's going to self fund his whole campaign, but he can. Yeah. And that if there's a hiccup in fundraising, that doesn't put his campaign behind at all. He'll he'll loan the money. Yeah. And then they can pick up the slack later. So you know, and, and he will do that. He, yeah. He's not afraid. To do that. So that that is where his money really comes in is, you know, he'll be able to raise money and, you know, and all that. But if there's ever a problem, if he has a, a bad month, so what? He can cut a personal check to his campaign. Right. And, you know, and charge full steam ahead so that it, it's a big advantage. It's a big advantage to be the wealthiest member of Congress for sure. Right. So what do you think? um what advice would you have for these Democratic candidates right now between surviving the primary and then competing against Gianforte on the fundraising right. side? As far as the primary, I mean, that I, I don't know that I have a strong, uh, a real strong opinion on what kind of politics they should um, you know, they should subscribe to, yeah, I, I, I don't call. think, I, I, I don't think they need to, uh, honestly, I think they should position themselves against Trump and against Gianforte because that's just the natural way these cycles work, right? If, if these were Republicans running against Obama in 2010, I'd tell them the same thing, yeah. right? It's, you have a president who's not necessarily, you know, that popular and we'll, we'll see. I mean, he, Trump is, uh, won Montana by a lot, obviously we'll see if he's a help or a hindrance, but uh, my instinct is that, you know, tying, making Gianforte own, uh, Donald Trump's mistakes, um, try to get him tied up into that, um, you know, S whole country stuff, uh, the, the, the daily controversies, try to get him involved in those. Um, I think we'll, you know, um, we'll, you know, it'll score them a lot of political points. And then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I think that, <laughs> you know, mining his, um, you know, his pleading guilty to a crime and, you know, it's, it is honestly, it's different than, you know, uh, a lot of crimes, you know, it, or a lot of, uh, misdemeanors, um, you could, I think that they'll really make the point that he's not even qualified to be a member of Congress. If he pleads guilty to assaulting a reporter, that he shouldn't be there at all. Um, I think people, I would recommend taking that hard tone. Um, Cause it's not as if he pled not guilty and said, and you know, that's the justice system. And, you, but you could always say, well, I pled not guilty and I don't think I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, the jury and judge said differently, but that's how I feel. He says, no, I did it. And, you know, it, it does show, you know, that, and I'm a forgiving person. <laughs> I, I'm not saying this to be hard on him, but it does show probably a lack of, um, you know, a lack of character needed to hold that office. It's, you know, the fourth estate, the journalism super important. Um, it wasn't just a bar fight, which literally like I could, I could maybe forgive someone for that. I'd be like, well, whatever, it was at a bar. you know, some gun. Yeah, some yeah. drunk guy walk up to him and things escalated or whatever. But this is, you know, in this is a reporter trying to report on him and his campaign, and it's um, 
you know, it really is a big deal. I, obviously, we make jokes about it, and it is kind of funny in retrospect because everyone's okay. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the Guardian reporter is fine. Yeah, but it, it is. Uh, you know, it's I think concerning. they really need to hammer him on it, and they will. Yeah, they, they will. will. Yeah. yeah. Well, is anyone going to challenge Gianforte? We got one guy. We got uh, Drew Taranio, I think is how you would say this. Uh, conservative Tea Party guy. Um, he's ran for office a bunch of times in Montana. Um, none successfully. Okay. Um, so he ran for so some House seats, and then he was a 2012 candidate for the Montana Secretary of State. Um, seems to just kind of be... Um, on the far right of uh, American politics. And I don't know a whole bunch about him, um, but this would be the fourth time he's running for office. And I, I don't think that there's any room in the Republican party for him to primary Gianforte. So I, I don't give him a lot of, <laughs> I don't have a lot of, uh, of uh, hope that he will be challenging Gianforte in any serious way. Okay. Um, he's another, he's another author though. Because we had, uh, what's his name? Um, Mark Wicks. From, yeah, from he. Uh, oh, Greg Strandberg. Greg Strandberg, that's right. So, unlike Greg Strandberg, though, because I get a feeling a lot of Greg Strandberg's books are self published, uh, Drew Taranio's book, George Buchanan Enters the Wormhole, it's a young adult novel. Uh, it sounds like it's science fiction, but I think he got that published. I think that's like a real. Like a publishing company said, this is a great idea and we're going to publish it. Hmm. I, I, I get I get the feeling Strandberg's <laughs> books are all in the in the world of self publishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting but, though that we have so many writers because Mark Wicks, the Libertarian candidate from the 2017 special yep. election, was also a published author. Yep. And yeah, Montana's got a lot of authors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well, at least we gave him, you know, some credit, and and we recognize the fact that he's he's jumped into the ring. We'll see if uh, how 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 long he'll stay in the race. I mean, it's hard to see anyone really yeah, challenging it's, it's, Gene Forte right. in the Republican primary. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's it's you know we're we'll mostly be I'm sure spending ninety nine percent of time talking about the Democrats, um, and you know who's gonna challenge Gianforte in the general. I, I don't see any way that a Republican is, you know, any Republican is going to be able to inject themselves in a, uh, in a real primary against our, our sitting Congressman Gianforte. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that about covers it. So thanks so much, John, for coming on again and, and, uh, hope you'll join me for a future episode where we go over the state legislature. Right. That's what we want to talk about next. Um, you know, that is, um, like we've discussed, that's something uh, that would be great because uh, there's not a lot of coverage out there, not a lot of information, and we're, we're hoping to bring that to you. Um, you know, give you some insight about candidates that are running here in Montana and who they are, what their stories are, and what their policy positions are. Um, and that would be, um, that, that will be a cool thing for us to do. So I hope to see you and I hope to talk to you then about uh, the Montana legislature. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. Well, thanks again for joining me. And I, yeah, it's fun talking with you. Yeah. You too, Dan. All right. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Take care. Bye.
Another great conversation with Montana Mint political contributor John Hansen about the 2018 U.S. House race. If you're looking for more background on the 2018 U.S. Senate race, check out episode four of the Montana Middle, which aired last month. Now here's the last word segment. The last word for this episode comes from a January 21st public lands event in Paradise, Montana, up in Sanders County in the far western part of the state. The event, co-sponsored by the Coalition of Western Property Owners, featured Cliven Bundy and his son Ryan, whose names you might recognize because the Bundys have been fierce opponents of federal land ownership in the West, getting involved in an armed standoff with a BLM in Nevada, and orchestrating the armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. The Bundys are pretty much the de facto leaders of the Sagebrush Rebellion as we know it today, and there are quite a few Montanans who support them. That is, supporting the federal government relinquishing their land to the states. Now, these kinds of events are kind of intimidating to go to because they attract the kind of people who are willing to take up arms against the federal government. That's not to say there isn't a time and a place for a well-regulated militia, but all I'm saying is that events featuring the Bundys usually have a lot of guys with guns there, and they're pretty politically charged. That's why I was surprised to see an internet video go around the next day that showed a gruff-looking guy appear at the event and challenge the Bundys during the question-and-answer session to tell him why he is wrong to support public lands. His name is Ryan Bussey, and he works at Kimber, the gun manufacturer based in Kalispell, and he's also the national board chairman of a Montana-based sportsman's organization called Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I was surprised to see Mr. Bussey not only show up to that event, but to challenge the Bundys in front of everyone else, because most of the people there are their followers. This clip provides a glimpse into one of the most politically charged issues in the West, and it's a reminder that Montana is at the center stage of this debate. Fielder earlier tonight stated that uh, for us to have a rule of law, it must apply to everyone equally, and I could not agree more. Uh, Mr. Bundy stated that the Constitution is obviously the supreme law of the land. I could not agree more. We had uh, someone here say tonight that the federal government does not own any land. I could not agree more. We the people own this land. Uh, my name is Ryan Bussey. I represent backcountry hunters and anglers, almost 20,000 strong hunters and anglers. Personally, I have to say that I'm thrilled that we live in a country that is not like the one espoused by Ryan Bundy. We have a civil war to ensure that federal law supersedes the private property rights of even private property slave owners, even if states espouse those private property rights. From a BHA standpoint, I want to say we are thrilled that we live in a world and live in a country with the most egalitarian experiment ever, a land where we the people own 640 million acres, a land where we are not forced to be landed gentry or royalty, and I'd like to know why I'm wrong and why BHA is wrong. Today's outro music is provided by Rob Quist and his band Great Northern. Rob was my featured guest on episode 3 of the Montana Middle, 
And I felt like since this episode was about Montana's next slate of Democratic House candidates, it would be appropriate to have the last nominee close things out. Here's the 2017 Montana Democratic House candidate Rob Quist and his band Great Northern performing a song called Fun Tonight. Shining like a county fair, the night is humming like the Jordan airs. Cakes in the barn, melons on ice, gonna have a little fun tonight. I got a brand new pair of cowboy boots, gonna dance all night to the hoot owl hoot. on my heel, but that's alright, gonna have a little fun tonight. I said, hey, yeah, they're pumping. Oh, come on, let's do something. The rain ain't raining and the moon is shining. That's it for this episode of the Montana Metal, folks. Thanks again for listening. Remember, you can find us at www.themontanametal.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tell your friends about the podcast and share our episodes on Facebook. Take care. She got a pretty dress on a flowery like a barefoot girl Green eyes, smells like hay in the summertime Gonna have a little fun tonight Live views on the grass, the fog setting in Got a little watermelon dripping off your chin It looks real sweet and tasty right Gonna have a little fun tonight I said, hey, yeah, they're pumpkin Oh, come on, let's do something The rain ain't raining and the moon is shining bright Well, the jingle's singing in the